song is called El Gato. It is from the band The Hidden Reefs. They're a cool surf band based out of Augsburg, Germany. It's from their new release, Mystery Lights, which you can find at hiddenreefs.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, which is the website for the podcast you're listening to right now, Monster Kid Radio, where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic as genre cinema of yesteryear. And I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to this week's show. Now, this week, we're not talking about a particular movie. Instead, I'm being joined by a friend of mine, somebody that I met through some of the various Monster Kid Radio-related activities that I do these days, a documentarian, a filmmaker, a fellow Monster Kid, a guy by the name of Rob Hampton. Well, who's Rob? Rob is the co-creator of a really cool documentary called Super 8 Days. I'm going to learn a little bit more about that and a whole lot more about Rob here in a little bit. It was a great interview. I had a great time chatting with him. And yeah, and by the time I was done putting this interview together, well, there's just so much more to talk with Rob about. So I'm definitely going to have him back on the show at some point down the line. Super 8 Days is a fun documentary. It's really cool. I cannot recommend it enough. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how you can see Super 8 Days yourself here in a little bit. Of course, we also have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and we're kind of sticking in that filmmaker vein. You'll have to keep listening to know what I'm talking about. A couple of things I want to go over, a few pieces of news. So first of all, I told you guys and gals, I'd be keeping an eye on what's going on with Monster Bash. And unfortunately, due to what's going on in the world right now with the Corona apocalypse, the Bela Lugosi Film Festival that was supposed to be happening here, it's been pushed back until next year. It's just one of those things where it's just not safe to have that many people together in one contained space, even if that contained space is a gorgeous movie palace that someday I need to get to. It just isn't going to happen this year. So... Hold on to your tickets if you've already paid in advance because those tickets will be honored next year when the Monster Bash Bela Lugosi Film Festival takes place. Tentatively, right now, it is scheduled for August 13th and 14th, 2021. Of course, I learned about this through various posts on social media, but you can find out all about it over at monsterbashnews.com. And on a personal note, something else that I saw posted on social media was from Ron Adams, the man behind Monster Bash. And I just want to say a huge congratulations to Ron, his wife Ursula, and his daughter Paisley. Paisley was just married. So congratulations, Paisley, and welcome to the Monster Bash family, Jess. I hope everybody that was traveling to the wedding and back again managed to do so safely. I swear, one of these days, man, we're going to have to just get together. I am missing the Monster Bash so much you guys and gals i just mm. next year next year we're gonna bash so hard a few other things to discuss real quick you guys and gals know that i'm hosting not just one but two days of movie watch parties over on our twitch channel you can go old school and go to twitch.tv slash monster kid radio or you can go straight to monsterkidmovie.club on tuesday afternoons and saturday pretty much all day now tuesday is our sci-fi day and we start at 4 p.m pacific and we show a couple of classic sci-fi movies and sometimes a few newer movies in that retro sci-fi vein like just a couple of days ago we showed a joshua kennedy film slave girls on the moon now on saturday though at 11 a.m is when the pre-show starts and then at noon the movies proper start this is all pacific time again we show so many monster movies it's totally free and you are more than welcome to join us just to kind of give you a little bit of a sneak peek about what's coming up this weekend we're going to be showing the movies one body too many chapters four and five of the phantom creeps an episode of the old tv show lights out as well as the movie the horrible dr hitchcock 
We also have another one of those retro movies that I love so much called It Came From There. We're going to be showing all those and a little bit more. We'll probably even play a round or two of the Classic Five. That's happening this Saturday. Again, that starts at 11 a.m. Pacific for the pre-show and then at noon Pacific for the movies with a live chat. It's totally free, but there are ways for you to help support the stream and you'll learn about that if you come over and watch the movies with us. There's also a way for you to win your very own Iron Giant the big giant iron monster from the Phantom Creeps. Our friend Tracy Morris over at Stuffed with Characters and We Belong Stuffed. She makes these amazing little stuffed figures. They're so cute. They're so fun. They're so monstrous. And there's a way for them to be so yours. But you have to come over and watch the movies on Saturday to learn how you can win. And again, that's monsterkidmovie.club. If you are a user of Facebook, just follow along the Monster Kid Radio page because I will create a Facebook event page and I'll make sure there's a link there for you to follow, and then you can do whatever it is Facebook wants you to do when it comes to Facebook events. You know, here in a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Patreon that Monster Kid Radio has, but in the meantime, let's just get on with the rest of the show. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Haunted house shut down this season? Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The house of Frankenstein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash no matter what and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit you. Evelyn Anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I've told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Bela Lugosi. He's mine. He don't belong to you. You go away. Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster. Kiefer Sutherland. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? And Boris Karloff. Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragon time! Wolf thing! Let them take care of your friends, my dear. I'll take the robot, you take the wolf thing. Good. I've always had a way with animals. So RSVP to fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Franklin Stein.
Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are looking at homemade movies by Monster Kids. So today we are going to look at the first Famous Monsters Amateur Home Movie Contest. It was announced in issue 25 from October of 1963. Here's a great contest designed to inflame the imagination of every boy, girl, and monster who can beg, borrow, rent, or buy an 8 or 16 millimeter movie camera and 100 feet of movie film. How would you like to see a film called Twin of Frankenstein or Siegfried Saves Metropolis? Well, then, how about you making one or the other of them? Have the time of your life testing your picture-making ability. Discover if you're another Burt Gordon, who began as a teenager. Why, you may even be another Karloff or Harryhausen. You'll have fabulous fun producing a picture that will be entertaining monster fans for years to come at private gatherings, club meetings, and maybe even conventions. You don't have to be experienced to participate. You don't even have to dream up a plot. We've already done that for you. FM editor Forrest J. Ackerman has written two scripts for this movie contest, Twin of Frankenstein and Siegfried Says Metropolis. The first script, a field day for makeup fans, is a simpler of the two. With a little adult help, an eight-year-old boy should be able to film it. Step by step, the script tells you what to film. It is up to you and your imagination, your talent, your creativity, your ambition to produce the version with the best makeups, lighting effects, angles, etc. FM's editor Ackerman and James Warren, together with the co-editors of Screen Thrills Illustrated and Ralph Blumke, the young man who made I Was a Teenage Mummy, will all judge your efforts. Script number two will offer a challenge to the older, more experienced filmmakers, those who want to test their mettle. There's a robot and a dragon to build and animate on some tabletop work, models, animation, etc. You need to make up your mind which category you want to compete in until you've read the scripts. To receive both your scripts, which automatically make you eligible to participate in the contest, simply send $4 and by return mail you will receive the two exciting shooting scripts. The scripts themselves, available in no other way, are sure to become collector's items. Many of you will undoubtedly want them to add to your collections of FM, even if you do not plan to participate in the filmmaking. We do not encourage purchase of the scripts unless you intend to enter the contest, but we are nevertheless anticipating the demands of collectors' fans in the film monster field and are printing enough extra copies to, we hope, fill all orders. Here are the rules. You must be under 21, not engaged in professional movie making. One or the other, not both, of the official scripts must be used as the basis of your entry. No original script can be considered. Entries must be submitted in final form, finished prints, ready for projection, approximately 100 feet in length if 8mm, or 200 feet if 16mm is used. Films are to be silent. They can be shot in either black and white or color. Only one entry per category can be accepted from each contestant. Contest closes at midnight December 20th, 1963. All entries must be postmarked before then to be eligible. Prize winners will be notified by telegram. Prizes will be forwarded within 10 days of announcements of winners. Winners will be judged on the basis of originality and artistry, demonstrated in the development of the scripts from which they are produced. Famous Monsters reserves the right to print stills from the entries or exhibit the films in any manner whatsoever. Decisions of the judges will be final. Anyone except employees of Warren Publishing Company, its affiliates, or their families 
may participate in this contest. Contest is subject to federal, state, and local regulations. Here are the prizes. Both amateur and pro winners will each receive these identical prizes. First prize, Sony Deluxe Portable Miniature TV Set. Second prize, Automatic Deluxe 8mm Motion Picture Camera. Third prize, Color Polaroid Land Camera. Five honorable mentions, free subscriptions to FM till 21st birthday. So what happened with the contest? Who won? Did they go on to fame and fortune? We'll find out in a future edition of A Look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. All right, Kenny, you got my interest, and I have to admit, I cheated a little bit, and I dug, and I tried to find out who won those contests. But more importantly, I was trying to find out what happened to those scripts. Are they out there now? Are they on the market? Has anybody scanned them in online? And... You know, I spent some time at the Classic Horror Film Board, did some work on Google, a few other search engines here and there, and I'm not finding anything. However, supposedly, a particular documentarian did pick up a copy of the Siegfried Saves Metropolis script. I haven't found anything about the Twins of Frankenstein script or the Twin of Frankenstein. I would love to read that. I do know that there were winners announced in the magazine. However, one of those winners, you know what? I'm going to spoil this just a little bit. One of those winners actually is a fellow podcaster and has reported that he never received the film back or any of the prizes, unfortunately, and even said something to Uncle Forey when he was riding in an elevator with him years later at a convention. And he reports that all Forey really had to say was, oh no, as he shook his head. So... Don't know what happened there either, but I would like to learn more. Update, I did get my hands on a copy of I Was a Teenage Mummy, so I do have access to that. Haven't watched it yet, but, you know, it's those stories of these amateur filmmakers that resonate with me so much. The kids that picked up a film camera and wanted to make their own monster movie because they were inspired by the monsters. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and Super 8 Days with Rob Hampton here in a moment. But before we get to all of that, Kenny, again, thank you for doing this. Bang up job, as always, and probably one of my favorite segments you've done for the show so far. Thanks again, man. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. Discover Planet of the Apes. A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles and the superior beings are apes. Tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Then a kind of living death. (laughs) 
Monster Kid Radio has a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio. And some of the rewards you can get for supporting Monster Kid Radio at Patreon are things like having your name listed in the special thanks section of the website. Maybe you come in at a particular tier to where you can get a monthly classic monster movie bingo card. Every month I send out a new bingo card that you can print up at home and play along with your fellow monster kids as you're watching classic monster movies. Every time something comes up on screen, you check it off or use one of the counters that I've included with that PDF, which is a cool little Frankenstein head thing, kind of a throwback to the original logo and branding that we use here on Monster Kid Radio. You can get that if you come in at the hammer level or higher. You can get that depending on what tier you support the show at. The five tiers that you can support Monster Kid Radio at over at Patreon are the Poverty Row tier, the AIP level, Toho, Hammer, and Universal. Hammer is where you're going to want to go if you want to get the monthly bingo card. Every month, the bingo card is slightly different. The longer you support Monster Kid Radio at the Hammer tier or higher, the more bingo cards you are going to get. Now, if you support the show at the Universal level or higher, you will get access to a monthly look at behind the scenes of Monster Kid Radio, day in the life of Monster Kid producer Derek M. Cook kind of thing. We call it Monster Sausage, and I just released that earlier this week as well. So if you do support the show at that level or higher, head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio to check out that video. If you support the show at the Toho level or higher, you get your name included in the executive producer roll call, which sounds a little something like this. Monster Kid Radio would not be possible without the support of the following executive producers. Chris Staggs, Anthony Wendell, Timothy Forbes, Andrew Campbell, The Maboose Cast on YouTube, Dennis Brian Prather, Ted Roddy, Tom Greganis, Jim Moore, Don Evans, Jerry Green, Curtis, T. McKay, Dwayne and Jen Watson, Steve Turek, Karen Joan Kahotek, Tammy Anschutz, Paul Curtis, Jonathan Angarella, Charles Babbage, Terry Mount, Bayou Hunter, Jeff Owens, Mitch Gonzalez, Justin Giallo, Steve Sullivan, Tracy and Scott Morris, and of course, Kenny. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you to everybody who supports the show by either participating in our Patreon, sharing the links of the new episodes, telling your friends about Monster Kid Radio. Just thank you so much for helping to make Monster Kid Radio what it is. Wouldn't be able to do it this way without you guys and gals. Check out patreon.com slash monsterkidradio for more information about our Patreon campaign. And now let's get into that interview with Rob Hampton, the co-director of the short documentary Super 8 Days. ago we showed a documentary during what we were then calling our social distance saturday streaming screening screaming movie watch parties now we call it the monster kid movie club but back then we showed this documentary and it got a pretty good response okay actually a really good response it was called super eight days and i had a blast watching it and sharing with people and now the man behind the documentary is here with us here on monster kid radio welcome to the show rob hampton how you doing man great Great to be with you. Hello, listeners. Super 8 Days is a look at the movies that you made growing up in the 70s. So it's all shot on Super 8 film. Uh, it was actually film, so it's a little bit different than some of the more video-related projects that you'd see come out in like the late 80s, early 90s. So it has a more textural quality and, and more gritty and real, for me anyway. What gave you the idea to take all this stuff and package it together as a documentary? Basically, I got this strange email from a producer in Barcelona, if you can believe it. And he was making a documentary on Super 8 as a format. 
I think mainly about the camera and the equipment. And he said he was coming to L.A. and he was going to interview uh, as many people as he could. And he had some really great names lined up like Bruce Campbell and uh, he's going to try and talk to Guillermo del Toro. And I think he wanted to see Peter Jackson if he was over here. And he's like, I'd seen your movies on YouTube and uh, and they're just so great and fun and everything. We really want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, I'm going to be in a documentary with these great giants, you know. So I was really excited and I prepared and I thought about everything I wanted to say about it. And uh, they came over as he and a small camera crew and they interviewed me for like an hour in my garage. And it was the greatest, you know, I went down memory lane. It was really fun. And, you know, I waited and waited. And a couple months later, I reached out to him and he had put a trailer together. But that's all he could do. And he said he was going to give up on the project. And I was like, oh, no, man. So about a year later, I was uh, out back in New England where I grew up and my buddy John Morgan, who was in the movie with me in the documentary, he had acted in a lot of the films back then when we were kids. And uh, we got together and he was like, hey, you know, if you can't get that documentary going, then let's make our own. And uh, we went out to the woods uh, where we had shot all our films back uh, in Riverside, Connecticut. Actually, I grew up on Cape Cod. It's a a weird story. My grandparents were in Riverside, Connecticut. I grew up on Cape Cod, but I would go down and visit them a lot. My best friend was down there, John Morgan. And so I'd make half my movies on Cape Cod and half my movies down in Riverside during school vacations. And anyway, so John and I went back to those woods where we had made like King Kong and Star Trek. We interviewed each other for about an hour. And we didn't really think it was going to be a documentary, but a few months later, I was cutting it together just for our kids, you know, and posterity. And we're like, hey, this is pretty good. If we just put some B-roll of our old films and stills of us and things like that, this might actually be something. And all of a sudden, it went from five minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes. And uh, we just kept making it better and better. And even a whole year later, we went back to the same woods just to get pickup shots. We put on the same clothes to get things that we forgot to talk about. And you can see our hair changes a little bit. But finally <laughs> got, yeah, we've, just like the old days in the Super 8 movies, you know, you get a haircut and like in the next shot, you look totally different. Uh, what's continuity? <laughs> so, you know, we got, we got the movie finished and uh, we just started putting out the festivals. And it's played in like 30 so far and played it. San Diego Comic-Con and that festival. And we were runner up for the Rondo award, which is really cool for short film. And oh, uh, yeah. it's just been a really fun thing and, and really fun that people really can relate to it. I think everybody who grew up back then either knew somebody or did it themselves. So we were very conscious of that when we were putting it together, that it wasn't just about us. It was kind of how cool it was to grow up back then. And you know, make whatever you could in the backyard or whatever toys you had and uh, whatever friends were hanging out down the street, you know, hey, come, come be in our Star Trek film. You know, it's just been a great ride. Has filmmaking always been something you were interested in? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you watch the documentary, you'll see that before I even got a camera, we were doing like these kind of things in the backyard. We were kind of like playing Planet of the Apes or anything else that we saw, we would be doing in the backyard and I'd actually be pretending I was making a movie, even though we didn't have a camera, you know, I'd be like, no, no, that fight, that punch is not good enough. You know, let's do it again. You know, cut. They're like, what do you mean cut? We're not shooting. You know, I'm like, no, got to do it again. You just have to. So yeah, I had just been really 
influenced by sci-fi and horror films, uh, especially of the 50s, I'd say. I grew up on Cape Cod, like I said, and we got all the Boston TV stations and one of them, Channel 56, always had the Creature Double Feature playing on Saturday afternoons where they played two movies. And most of those films were like American International films or and a lot of stuff by Roger Corman. And those are the kind of movies that I would watch and I'd be like, whoa, you know, if I just had a camera, I bet I could do this. Like, I mean, not, not, you know, I'm, I'm still reverential to that, but it's just kind of like as a kid, even at like 12, you'd be like, oh, wow. It's like killer shrews. They're just dogs with hair like taped to them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. you're like, I bet I could do that. So I just, you know, kept begging for a movie camera. And it's 12 years old. Somebody's going to actually buy you a hundred dollar movie camera. It's kind of a big deal. But it finally did for Christmas. I got this uh, GAF camera. And instead of shooting my family in home movies like that, I went right out and started making an earthquake film, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, then I start making a movie every month. That's and, uh, that's so that cool. camera broke after only like six months, so I had to wait till the next Christmas to get a better one. And this time I was like, you got to give me one with single frame capability because I really loved, you know, Harryhausen stuff. And I think the first movie I ever sat through was even King Kong. So I was just really into doing that. And that's what I got. And those are my better movies. You know, when I watched Super 8 Days, I feel kind of like a kindred spiritness with with you. I'm a little bit younger than you. I grew up with like video cameras all the time, and that's exactly what I did. I'd call my friends and be like, "Hey, we're making a movie. Do you want to be in it? Don't worry about your lines. You know, we'll just kind of improvise. Just say something like this, and we'll do our thing. And here's some fake blood. Yeah, it might stain, but whatever. And you know, <laughs> so I would do the exact same thing, just with videotape instead of film. And I feel like I kind of was lucky in that I was doing stuff with video because with film, you have to send it off to get it developed and you never really know if it worked out until you get it back. I can't imagine what that waiting time would be like waiting to get the film processed. Well, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of technical limitations back then that it's amazing that when I look at it now, I'm just like, wow, how did we even get that done at 13 years old or something? You know, it's kind of like, not only did you have to like beg for three or five dollars to buy a roll of film, but then like you say, you had to get it developed and that was another three or four dollars and you had to wait a week. So you didn't even know if your stuff came out until you got the film back. And even then, you know, it wasn't what you thought it was or whatever. And like, I remember getting rolls back that were just totally overexposed or never went through the camera. <laughs> I would like, I remember like crying to my mom. Oh no. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I just worked so hard on this and this, it didn't go through, you know, or something. Uh, and then you had to edit them if you wanted to, you know? So you had this edit viewer, I guess it's called, you know, I'm looking at it right now. And basically you'd hand crank your film through this little viewer that was only like five inches diameter and, basically incredibly dimly lit so you could barely see what you're doing right and then you would have this like little <laughs> razor blade that would cut the film and it would always look terrible because it was like a diagonal razor blade that would cut the film in this interlocking pattern so that you could fit the film back together you know like a puzzle or something and then you had these little tapes and that's where being a young kid probably helped because they were so tiny i don't know how an adult could you had to peel these tapes and stick them on and then when you go to play the film back, you would always see this giant 
diagonal lightning bolt type shape go by and you'd be like, what was that? You know, so we would stop editing. Basically, we would just try to shoot everything in order in one take every time <laughs> we'd rehearse every shot and then shoot it. And if you screwed up, I'd be like, damn you. Oh, we got to do it again. I'm going to have to edit that out. You know? <laughs> We're going to have one of those damn marks go by. I think yeah. One of the greatest things I ever got as a gift was like a couple years later, I think. I don't know when it was, but basically they came out with a splicer that had a straight razor in it. So, like, you didn't see the splices anymore. I'm like, whoa, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It just the technology alone, I mean, it's fascinating to me to kind of look at historically and, and see where these things came from. But there's no way. <laughs> I would not have been running around the town with my video camera and friends making movies if I knew that I had to sit through that kind of uh, activity. I mean, the patience involved and yeah, having to cut around or, or not cut around, I guess, you know, trying to avoid adding any cuts at all. I mean, it's bad enough on old video. You'd have the rainbow effect every time you stopped and started <laughs> while you're doing like a crash edit. Yeah, but positive even, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, wow, that just blows my mind. Yeah. So bravo, sir. Bravo. <laughs> I think it weeded out a lot of people, Derek, you know, like I just think that like every kid right now is doing it. Like there's just so many people doing it now because it's easy, right? They got their phones, everything's digital. They can edit and get software for cheap, you know, um, to edit with. And, but, you know, back then, not many people were doing it. I think it kept people from doing it. Even like your dads or whatever might have a Super 8 camera, but they hardly used it. They had to go through this process all the time, you know? I mean, some computers even now just come packaged with some sort of cheap editing software. You don't even have to buy it. It's just right there. And, you know, I love video editing. I, I do YouTube stuff now and all that, and it's a blast. But, man, the, the tactileness of it and... Just again, bravo, hats off to you. Thanks. I'm glad you stuck with it. Yeah, it's funny. My life started at Super 8, then went to 16 millimeter editing, and then three quarter inch video editing, and yep. one yep. inch video editing, uh -huh. and beta, SP, digibeta, and then uh, digital, you know? So you've been through a lot of the formats. I know, it's crazy if you think about it. And I don't miss the early ones, I gotta say. I mean, there's something charming about it. But like you said, it's just kind of too hard. And when my films got up there, so I shot all these films, probably about 20 when I was a kid. And the best six of them I found, you know, just years later, decades later, I took them out of the closet. And I was like, you know, these are pretty good. You should maybe go up on YouTube or somewhere. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to digitize them and then. Hey, I might as well add my voice to it because I was always narrating the films in the back of the room. Basically, these were silent films. But even though they were silent, I would have people speak in front of the camera and then I would just narrate and replace their voice in the back of the room when we we're watching them later. So these lines just got burned into my head for years. I still knew what they were. I knew the dialogue. So I just went on. So I, so I brought these films into the Avid and I recorded my voice. Then I added music and sound effects and they started looking pretty good. And then, of course, I took out. You know, the purists out there would probably be upset, but I took out those damn splice marks whenever I could. There's no way I was going to put those up. I hated those things, you know. <laughs> no so, zigzag uh, cuts, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've actually seen comments under the YouTube videos where they're like, this is not authentic. There's no splices. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they really exist. 
kind of funny. But I, you know, I understand that though. <laughs> so like, I tried not to do anything too much except add some titles at the end. You know, I mean, I just wanted people to get the credit. They, we never did titles back then. So I just wanted the kids back then who are like, you know, pushing mid fifties now to get their name out there. So anyway, those movies were out on YouTube for a while and then they took off. I remember ain't it cool.com found my King Kong and all like overnight I had like 10,000 views and then other places started finding my Star Trek film. And so we had a King Kong, a Star Trek, a Jaws. Uh, I've got a Warriors I did when I was in college. Oh, Alien I did with my mom. Like I, that was a big deal. Like, oh my gosh, I got adults in this thing for once. And we did a Sinbad one, which is pretty good. So um, those are the six that I put up there. You know, I keep getting requests. People are like, don't you have any more? And I'm like, ah, we got a James Bond one. The problem is a lot of times we never finish the movie. You know, you'd shoot for like a couple days and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, John's got to go back to New Hampshire where he lived now as a teenager. You know what I mean? Or, like, or I got to go back home to the Cape or we're out of film and, you know, let's go uh, hang out at the beach instead, you know. So you never finish the movie. You'd have like these great first half of a movie. And so I've kind of run out of complete films, you know. So Rob, I man, I am getting goosebumps literally because this oh good. I, thought I, was <laughs> I I'm, this up. I'm like what oh no man i i am <laughs> i am seeing so much of my own kind of background with this in what you're saying right there because you end up shooting a bunch and then somebody has to go back to school or somebody got grounded and he can't come over that day to make the rest of the movie or, or something like that so you'd have to abandon it or whatever certainly uh, Derek, we started getting into girls <laughs> it's kind well of and like, there's that too like, and girls and driving like oh my gosh we're getting i got a car now i'm 16 you know it's like uh you know we're not gonna make movies all day we're gonna go hang out at the beach try and uh <laughs> uh, you know who we can like you know say hello to without feeling stupid you know whatever so well for me it was like now i can get girls and driving in one of my little movies so <laughs> yeah yeah and if you watch the doc you can see like i actually broke our camera and that was the end of it like um, oh no spoiler alert basically i had this giant delta 88 an oldsmobile you know this giant boat of a car and we're trying to do this mad max type of film like 1983 i guess it was you know you know now i'm in college and everything and so we're making much less films than before or i was making a whole bunch before but now we're just doing them once in a while maybe in the summer and like so we had this car and now i'm trying to be real cinematic you know because now i'm studying films in college you know and so we had the car come flying up to the camera and i thought it would clear it and it just did not boom front bumper oh. just smash right into my bell and howl camera it just never worked again you know it actually worked but like it would just skip frames and everything so like everything oh. came back looking like incredible sped up motion because it was only getting like three frames a second instead of 18 or whatever but the, that was the end oh. ouch ouch I, there was something about when you were using a camera you would do incredibly dangerous or stupid things that you thought you could get away with because you had a camera there. At least that's how I kind of viewed it when I was making these little movies. I set myself on fire for a movie and I thought, no big deal. There's a camera running. It'll be okay. You know, so it's just, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, so John, John Morgan and I were, you know, we made this jaws film. We called it teeth. And instead of being out at the beach, you know, I mean, what's really funny is I grew up on Cape Cod, basically where they made jaws, but when we made our Jaws Super 8 film, I made it down on a river, a freshwater river in Riverside, Connecticut. We had the scene where his brother, his little brother, falls off the boat, 
and gets attacked by the shark and we tie that rope to his uh, waist and we were rehearsing it, like pulling, dragging him around. It looked like Eddie in Jaws 2. You know, remember when he goes flying yeah. to the sailboat? Like we had that shot down. We were so excited. Jaws 2 had just come out. We're like, wow, we had just, we nailed this. We're like dragging around. It's like, okay, let's shoot it. And all of a sudden, you know, their mom came into the yard and was like, what's going on here? <laughs> well, he had this like, you know, 11-year-old kid and over his head in the water <laughs> with a rope around him. <laughs> So we never got that shot. It was so disappointing. I mean, to this day, Derek, I mean, it's 40-something years later. I still am angry about not getting that shot. Yeah? Yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. I, I didn't grow up near a body of water. So when I was making my little movies, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. <laughs> but I wanted to do a Jaws thing, too. So we turned it into two guys in a car in a mall parking lot running people down. And we called it Shocks. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So yeah, there's something about Jaws. You just want to make it. No, I, I hear you, man. That's this is awesome. You know, I don't think we're going to have a hard time coming up with something else to talk about. But before we move on, there is a game that we play here on the show. It's kind of an icebreaker, keep the conversation going kind of game. It's called the Classic Five. I've got a literal deck of cards here, and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer? Style question, the icebreaker style. There are no wrong answers. Rob, you want to play around with the Classic Five? I will play. The game. But if I screw it up, that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Card number one. Who is your favorite mad scientist? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, like Boris Karloff in uh, House of Frankenstein. Is it Neiman? Is that his name? That's right. Gustav Neiman. Yes. Okay. Uh, whoo, I made it. Excellent. <laughs> I don't, no, just so your listeners know, like I'm like into Marvel comics, I'm into monster films, I'm into sci-fi. I know a lot about Star Trek, you know. So like, you're just like you're one of us, man. I'm spread thin, keep it coming. Let's go. What was the most recent Universal monster movie that you've watched? Well, this is a good one because I went to the New Beverly Theater out here. Oh man, yeah, yeah, and they were playing Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. top comics, Abbott and Costello, petrified, but hilariously. <laughs> Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Plus a couple of luscious but designing females in the spookiest laugh fest on record. This was probably back in October. And I was like, if that's on the big screen, I'm going. You know, as much as I love all the uh, so-called serious ones, that's the one that really piqued your imagination, where like the three monsters all at once. I still just love the idea of the Wolfman and Dracula actually fighting in the hallway and while the monster is coming towards it's just stuff in that that's just so awesome it was just so cool to see it on the big screen you know people were laughing everywhere they should and i actually went with a guy who had never seen it oh wow how was that and like you know he's laughing at all the right spots it was just really cool to, to actually go with somebody who was not aware of it at all yeah that was just just a really good time you know just they put out such a great schedule there for old films too, you know, and retro stuff. Anytime I go to their stuff, like I went and saw the birds there too that summer. So it was kind of, Oh man, that's, I bet that was awesome. All right. Card number three, 
Oh, this is about some Bert I. Gordon films. Which one do you prefer? The Amazing Colossal Man or War of the Colossal Beast? Well, I'm going to go with The Amazing Colossal Man because I made a Super 8 version of it. We called it Manzar the Giant. And I got to tell you, I saw that film probably a half a dozen times as a kid. I was just really drawn to it. <laughs> Please, we're doing all we can for you. We're trying to bring you back down to normal size. You do think I'm a freak, don't you? But you know... To me, you're the freak, the one who's different. I'm not growing, you're shrinking! <laughs> he started as a normal human being, but now each day he doubles in size. Where will it stop? The amazing colossal man. Colonel, he's been reported in Las Vegas. Impossible, how can he walk 120 miles in only an hour? Impossible, not when you're 60 feet tall. The amazing colossal man. I mean, I, even then I knew like the effects were a little cheesy. You could see through his feet and things like that. And, <laughs> but him smashing up Las Vegas was just too cool. And I don't know why, but I was just incredibly into people falling off structures as a kid. Really a weird thing, right? Really weird. <laughs> like in the movie Earthquake, when the guy falls out of the skyscraper and they have like three angles of it. I mean, I just was, <laughs> I just thought that stuff was cool. So all my Super 8 films have somebody falling. You know, we would drop G.I. Joes from as high as we could do it. You know? Love the log scene in King Kong. So when uh, the amazing colossal man falls off, uh, was it Boulder Dam? That was just, even though it looked terrible, you know, we would just make fun of it. You know, we'd be outside and we'd pose like him and go, oh, yeah, it just thought it was <laughs> hilarious. But also, I'm a huge fan of the Incredible Hulk. I mean, I'm looking at Hulk statues right now around my room. And I really think that, like, the origin of the Hulk was kind of influenced by the Amazing Colossal Man. Do you see that at all? Huh. They both go running out and like a bomb goes off and they're kind of doused with radiation, right? I always hear, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde comparisons to the Incredible Hulk, but I think you're right. I could see some Colossal Man in there, too. Well, it's really the origin. Like, I mean, Yeah, the origin in particular, like I, yeah. Was it like Glenn Langan with his name, right? He goes running out mm -hmm. like during the countdown. And so did Bruce Banner, you know? Yep. He saw Rick Jones out there, so he goes running out and the bomb goes off. And like, you know, that shot of in the film of him being doused with the rays, you know, that was a big deal for like a 12 year old. Like, Whoa. And like his clothes got ripped off. Remember that? Oh yeah. It's pretty intense. I mean, it, the rest of the movie gets a little, you know, but the beginning of that, it's pretty intense. One of the cool things about living in LA is they've got these autograph shows, right? For, yeah. For collectors and stuff. And they have them like almost, once a month, you know, not anymore. But like, so I would just go anytime I saw anybody from my childhood was going to be there. So I have my amazing Colossal Man poster signed by Burt Gordon. So, oh, so cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yes. <laughs> and he's a super cool guy. He he still does the occasional convention, and he's super neat, super nice. Yeah, yeah. Super you know, nice. That was just a. It's so awesome growing up back then. I got to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you missed the 70s, but we had some really cool stuff, you know, especially like even on television, you know, six million dollar man, you know, I mean, just fantastic. Man, we had Star Trek and syndication that was on like every day and other things were in syndication at the time, like, you know, Superman, Lone Ranger and stuff. So I think by the 80s, that stuff wasn't really on every day on television. It was very limited 
number of channels in the 70s so they bought up all the old shows i guess mm-hmm. and you can get that kind of now with like me tv and all that but it's still not quite the same uh i came up in the early and, and mid 80s uh so i didn't have you know like i said i'm a little bit younger than you but still middle of the country growing up on military bases didn't have a bunch of channels so you'd have star trek on every other night somewhere and, and yeah it was just some cool stuff man now you have to go look for it it gets lost in all the noise there's so much stuff out there now uh all right next card here from the classic five uh the twilight zone or the outer limits well you know these are very hard questions (laughs) (laughs) by design (laughs) um you know i'm gonna go with the outer limits for one reason only okay they're both awesome okay but i had a puzzle I don't know if it was made by Milton Bradley or something, but I had a puzzle of the Outer Limits. It had all the coolest, like, aliens and monsters in a painting. And this was just the coolest puzzle ever. I think we'd break it out, like, on New Year's Eve once in a while. So I'm going to go with that just for that reason. How's that? Hey, that works. Uh, That actually sounds really cool. That's now awesome. I go, now I gotta go look it up on eBay or something, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking when we're done here, I'm gonna go online. I want to see what this thing looks like. All right, final card, and I'm going to admit to stacking the deck on this one because you mentioned comic books. So, what classic monster movie would you like to see adapted as a comic? Ooh. You know, like, I'm just trying to think, like, what an artist would have the most fun with. So, I'm going to guess, like, something like The Creature from the Black Lagoon would be kind of cool, you know? Like, I mean, just with the jungle and the Amazon or whatever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. That seems like something like very Bernie Wrightson kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like there could be a lot of detail or something really cool in that. um, That Very man thing or, you know, that just, uh, I mean, I remember having Frankenstein comics. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was Tomb of Dracula and stuff and Werewolf by Night. So I feel like those have already been done. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the creature. How's that? going ongoing creature comic i'm on board creature's my favorite film so oh, anybody great. anybody oh, who listens to the show knows that the minute somebody mentions creature from the black lagoon they're my new best friend so <laughs> we're good <laughs> and i know i said there are no wrong answers there's no winners or losers here but you mentioned creature so rob you win hey and you know what i actually met rico browning at one of those autograph shows <laughs> he's awesome yeah I, he goes out to monster bash out in uh, pittsburgh and I, I try to go to that every year and i've met him a couple times out there and he's still kicking he's still doing the shows now he's awesome all the films that you made with your friends were on the east coast but you're in la now was it film school that you went to when you went to college or was it something else and you kind of went back to film i w- grew up on the cape like i've been saying and boston university had a film school Okay. I was able to get in, got a nice scholarship. I, I remember I wrote a, this is funny, I, I haven't thought of this in a while. I, I wrote a essay on how seeing King Kong as a kid really changed my life and I wanted to make movies and I actually made a King Kong movie. And, you know, I think at that time, BU was really struggling to make a name for themselves with their film school. And it wasn't a film school. It was a communications college, you know? So they had TV film as one major and, you know, journalism and PR kind of thing. So I don't know. I got, I got a nice little scholarship that they really wanted me. And so I went in there and, uh, I used my super eight films to get exempt from a few classes. Like they were, Oh, wow. And I, I, you know what, I gotta say, I really wish I didn't because I would have made even more films. But I was able to get into like the 16 millimeter classes with older students. And then when I was a senior, I was kind of at the highest level of 
the classes. I wasn't the best, that's for sure. It's weird, you know, you're in some small town and you're the only person making movies and everyone's like, you're the next Spielberg. <laughs> Look at this kid making movies. Yep. Like, and you start to believe it, you know what I mean? So then you go to college or you move to LA or New York or whatever and it's like, oh my gosh, there's like thousands of people like me, you know? So you just are thankful to be one of them, you know? So I, I made like a really silly movie about a guy who's afraid to take a leak in a public restroom <laughs> okay. on YouTube somewhere. You know, I just seen that movie Brazil by Terry Gilliam. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to, I, you know, I just got to be more cerebral. And, you know, we got pipes in the bottom of our dorm that are in the ceiling and that could be the intestines, you know, like just, so, uh, yeah. And, uh, I never got past the answer print, but it came out pretty funny. That was like the one film I made then. But a lot of, I just remember it playing, you know, in the, like at the school screening of all the student films and the place was just dead quiet while the movie was playing, except for one guy like down in the front who was just cracking up all the way through. And I'm like, yep, that's who I made it for. (laughs) (laughs) People who don't like to to have a shy bladder when it comes to the men's room. (laughs) You know? Yeah, it was called inhibition. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where you're in film school and you're like, "Oh my god, I've got to make a movie in the next next three months." Like, I'm going to graduate and I'm supposed to have a movie done, and I don't know what to think of, and I just totally had no ideas or and writer's block and everything. And uh, I was at a bar, and it's like, you know, I would never go into that bathroom unless I knew nobody else was in there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm talking about urinals. You know, where like there's a, a line of guys behind you. No way. Uh-huh. No way. I was a shy kid. There's no way. You know, <laughs> you know, going to Fenway Park where they have like the troughs. Forget it. No way. <laughs> so I was like, hey, there's my movie. I'm going to make that. You know, so uh, we actually like try try to dramatize it, you know, with weird concepts where uh, the guy can't function in the men's room. And when he goes into a men's room, it feels like he's on display with thousands of people watching. So like I was the actor, I actually walked out onto uh, the BU basketball court during a game uh, just for like one shot of the crowd behind me. And like, they're like, get out of there. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, just, <laughs> <I know. laughs> Oh man. Funny. So I'm assuming you graduated from there and did you go straight to LA after that or, or what was the transition? Yeah. I mean, if anybody's out there wondering how, I mean, there's so many ways to get in this business. Everybody's way is different, right? I graduated with a degree in TV and film. I went back to Cape Cod and there's like, there's no way I'm going to get any job. Like I kept sending resumes to Boston TV stations and production companies. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. I was 22 and I was like, I'm going to have to work at the grocery store again or something. And I think my mom was doing a, a commercial for her real estate company. So she's like, you want to come, come watch? And I'm like, okay. So I went and I helped out and these two guys produced the commercial. Like, Hey, you know, we got a new TV station. We're making this commercial for you. You should come down. We need guys like you. Most of the people have no experience at all in TV and you have a degree. I'm like, okay. And so I spent the next four years at this tiny little TV station on Cape Cod and I, I'm, directed and produced probably a hundred commercials for them. It's only like 23 and I was like directing, you know, all these spots and, and live talk shows for them and everything. And, 
And along the way, I made a couple half hour films on video. Like you said, this would be like 1988, 89 era, you know, and I made a couple like 30 minute films using video. And we'd use these filters to try to make it look like film because everyone hated video. It looked like soap opera. Sure. Mm-hmm. I made these two films and I quit my job. And my girlfriend at the time and I just drove to L.A. with no money, no contacts, no job. I just had these two films under my arm and a bunch of copies of them, you know, VHS copies. And I came to L.A. And it was like 1990, actually 30 years ago this month. You know, we had we had come out here on a vacation and decided that we really wanted to be here a couple of months earlier. So we found the first apartment we could on Venice Boulevard down by Venice Beach. <laughs> we just took it. We paid rent on it for like three months while it was empty, while we went back home and quit our jobs and packed up. And we drove out here. She's my wife now. Yeah, I didn't know what to do, Derek. You know, it was really weird. I was out here, and she got a job right away because she was, thank God, you know, because I would have starved. <laughs> she was in retail, you know. So I'd just be sitting at home, and I'd just be like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I kept going down to the 7-Eleven and looking in the back of the Hollywood Reporter for jobs, you know, and I would reply any way I could. I'd send out my films. Nobody cared because they were shot on video. I went right into Concord Studios where, you know, Roger Corman's, studio and i uh, just was like hey can you use me at all and they're you know just very young i was 26 and they were like 25 year old production managers and producers and stuff they're making all these movies they're making like a movie a month sure so i got a job there as like an unpaid production assistant <laughs> like, wow okay sitting at home i guess so i go in there from like 7 a.m to 7 p.m and just be yelling at construction guys to stop making noise while they're shooting on the inside of the studio because they didn't really have a sound stage you know and one day roger corman himself walked across the lumber yard i'm like oh my god there he is the king oh my gosh this is well worth it <laughs> <laughs> like all the other pas are like who who is he i'm like that's that's roger corman. he conquered oh, wow. the world so i'm just like yeah, so, they're like, oh, man. And then from there, you know, I'll, I'll try and run through this real quick. I mean, I, they took pity on me because I wasn't making money and I was older than the other PAs. So like, hey, there's a job over at Warner Brothers. It's like an assistant on the Warner Brothers lot. You know, you should, uh, you know, we'll, we'll recommend you if you go over there. So I went and I interviewed. And I walked in this office and there's gremlins and, and the poster of the howling and inner space and stuff. And I was like, this is Joe Dante's office. Oh, my gosh. And the lady there who was his assistant was like yes it is and she interviewed me i'm like oh i'm taking this job i am taking you're telling me i have to drive joe dante around and drive him home because he didn't drive he's from new york and they're like yes that would be a big part of your job and i'm like okay i'm doing that <laughs> so i did that for like a year and while i was there his partner was making the movie newsies uh his producing partner mike Pinnell. oh wow so I was kind of split between the two of them. So I worked on this movie Newsies and <laughs> my big job on that was driving Christian Bale around. And he was like 17 and I'm like 27 now, you know, it's kind of funny. Oh, wow. Uh, because he wasn't a singer, we had to go to voice lessons. He had to go to like Brooklyn accent lessons. He had to go to rope trick lessons because his character, you know, knew some rope tricks. So I was just driving him around all day. Like, you know, I'd wait for an hour and then pick him up and drive him to the next one and just a great kid at the time you know we'd go cd shopping <laughs> we had some time off he liked 
the mod sound, I think it's called, you know, like the Happy Mondays and Jesus Jones, all those bands, the early 90s, you know, charlatans, you know, it's kind of fun. And then the next job I got was as the director's assistant uh, for Alex Winter on the movie Freaked. And uh, that's directed by two guys, Alex and his, his like childhood friend, Tom Stern. So I was their assistant on that film. And that was a great experience because I went with them on every single meeting, you know, and every scout, everything, and learned so much about filmmaking just by uh, accompanying them. You know, we thought that movie was going to be the biggest thing ever. It was just going to be huge. Um, like, you know, we were taking meetings with toy companies, things like that. I think Wayne's World had just come out or Ace Ventura, one of those. And like, you know, we're like, oh, my God, we're going to be huge just like that. And all of a sudden it just never happened. You know, I don't know if you've seen that film. I have. And I remember because I was getting all the magazines, you know, Fangoria and Son of Fantastic. And I remember there was a lot of press yeah, about they, they Freak as well. Film threat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really aware of it. Like I said, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming at the time, so we didn't have a lot of a lot of movie theater options. We had two theaters in town, and they were the big corporate ones, so they didn't bring in a lot of the, the smaller productions or whatever. I didn't see Freaked until it came out on VHS while I was working at a blockbuster video. Um, so I have seen it, and it's awesome that you worked on it, man. Yeah, they just had a reunion of sorts a couple months ago. It was great. The whole Egyptian theater in L.A. was just packed i mean the line down the street yeah to see it on the big screen i mean basically long story short they had really had a champion in joe roth who wanted the film to be big and you know he was kind of running 20th century fox at the time but then he left and whoever replaced him just swept the movie under the rug you know and i think contractually they had to play in two theaters and one of them was in LA and one was in New York and they did that, but it never went anywhere until it got to home video, you know? And also Keanu Reeves is in it as the dog faced boy, you know? And they were not allowed to use him in any marketing and that really hurt, I think, you know? So I'm sure if Alex Winter's listening, there's, there's other things, but I mean, you know, that was what I remember was that without Keanu's marketing participation, it really, was kind of not going to help at all, you know, so. Right. I mean, he was already disguised pretty much, you know, so it was easy for them not to use him, you know, or he's not in the credits at all, so. And, but my favorite part of that job was that, again, with the driving, <laughs> was that they were like, hey, Brooke Shields is in this movie. We have to fly her in from New York, and she's going to need a ride to and from the set and to some of the makeup tests because she had some uh, makeup effects on her. Uh, anybody want to do that? Like, uh, yeah, I do. So, <laughs> I was, you know, I still remember just picking her up outside of her apartment in Santa Monica and just being like, all right, Rob, the next person you see is going to be Brooke Shields. I just was like so excited. I was like, you know, because I mean, for my age group, like her face was everywhere, you know, yeah, in commercials, on every magazine at the supermarket, the Blue Lagoon, all that stuff. And so, you know, I just like, oh, I wish the people in high school could see me now, you know, <laughs> you know, and she came down just a total sweetheart. And, you know, I had this terrible little Nissan Pulsar car that I drove her around. In. She didn't care. You know, it was just fun. And she took me out for ice cream. She took me to lunch oh, went wow. shopping for shoes on Melrose. You don't know how well you can be treated till, you know. Somebody like Brooke Shields takes you to a restaurant. <laughs> it's like, oh, here, you want this nice table? We'll just put this table in the window for you, you know? So, um, yeah, <laughs> this, this just was a, a real 
real fun time. Those were great years. And then, you know, as usual, what happens is you just need money and you can't work for a couple hundred bucks a week anymore. And so I went back to television. I became a producer of the show America's Top Ten, which used to have Casey Case. And when I got to it, it was with Richard Blade, the DJ. Okay. Probably stayed in that job too long, a couple of years too long. So I quit right when I had a baby. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to force myself to get a better job, you know, by just putting myself out there. And from then I got into TV promos and commercials and became a director again, you know. And, uh, I started my own production company called Splat Pictures. Just had a lot of fun adventures out here. Another, you know, I could tell you any of the other stuff I did. I was a zombie in Return of the Living Dead 3. That was a fun couple days. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I remember auditioning. You know, because of my Super 8 days, I was able to dis- distort my face pretty good. I I knew what they wanted, you know. So I went and auditioned for uh, Ryan Yuzna. And uh, he was like, oh, you got it. You're going to be a zombie for us. And I uh, was great. They totally, you know, disguised me with this zombie makeup that you couldn't tell it was me you know but i pop out of a barrel at the end and chase kent mccord down a hallway has kind of fun <laughs> i produced a show called monsterama i was going to ask you about that because i saw that on your uh in your oh uh, i am your, your, yeah on your filmography and it it sounds like while you're doing the commercials while you're working doing the i guess straight jobs you know you're you're still keeping your your toes in the genre stuff and you're, you still have your love for the monsters yeah yeah you know while i was doing promos and commercials and stuff i still would try to do anything genre related you know a professor of mine kevin burns from boston university had moved to la and became like this prolific producer of unscripted tv you know like the old biography series and stuff like that Okay. He had this show called Monsterama, and this was like the early days of HD, like really early, where like there's hardly any cameras you could rent or anything. This is like 2003 or so. You know, he needed to, it was for this this new channel called Voom HD, where they had actually had, it was a network that had a bunch of channels, and one of the channels was called Monsters HD, and they needed some filler in between the movies. So he was kind of contracted to make like these 10 to 15 minute segments about anything really cool monster related you know i was recommended to it again he had been a teacher of mine at bu and and he paired me up with uh daniel roebuck and taylor white daniel's a great character actor Mm -hmm. i know daniel he's he's a great guy yeah yeah super cool a huge monster fan that's how oh yeah related in this and taylor white of creature features the store and uh many other things that he's done and so uh the three of us had to make like 24 of these episodes in a certain amount of time. And it was really hard because it was just the three of us. I would edit and we'd all take turns kind of directing and writing and shooting. And uh, we'd go out with one DP and shoot all this stuff. Boy, we had some great stuff, though. Like we got to shoot at Bob Burns' house and shoot all his awesome props. And oh, wow. And I was just the greatest. And here's the thing, Derek, what I'm really proud of is that we did a segment on King Kong, of course, and Bob has some great stuff from back then. And he actually has one of the armatures, right? And mm-hmm. it was just a huge Kong fan, you know. I was just frozen in my tracks when he just held it up and said, you want to hold it? And I was like, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> but then, so we, had, we took all these awesome shots in HD. Very cumbersome back then. Like now it's so easy, right? But back then, you know, there's like one mm-hmm. or two cameras we could use and things like that. So we'd set these things up and our mandate was basically to shoot 
props and cool stuff as if it was in the room with you. So it wasn't flashy editing or anything. We would actually just sit on a shot of something for 15 to 20 seconds and do a nice slow pan across it or a tilt up on it, you know. We would do that for everything. And then the greatest thing happened. I was like, hey, do you mind if I animate the armor? Oh, boy. And Bob's like, hey, go ahead. And I'm like, okay. So back in the Super 8 days, it would be one frame at a time, right? And then you uh-huh. Well, this, I just let the camera roll for like 10 minutes while I just put my hands in and moved the armature and then took my hands out and went back in and moved it a little more, took my hands out. And then later, you would just go take one frame where my hands weren't there, right? And put them. Sure. And so, you know, I didn't have that much time with it, but this would have been in like November of 2003, I'm pretty sure. You know, it's only like a two or three second animation at the end of the King Kong piece we did. I like to say, and someone can correct me, that I am the first person since Willis O'Brien to animate the Kong amateur. I got to believe it, you know? I know that the guys at Weta did it like in 2005, and Alec Gillis did a great thing with it, a short film with it a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm the first one since 1933, since Son of Kong probably, you know? Um, That's my guess. So if anyone... Can refute that. I love to hear it because I like I like bragging about it. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great picture of me doing it. That's you know somebody took. It's like one of my great items that I really cherish. You know that is so cool. And then what are you working on these days? You know what I'm doing now is I'm an executive producer, creator, and actually a host of a new show. It's a short form show for Curiosity Stream. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. It's like the Netflix for documentaries. It looks really cool. It really is cool. Yeah, they've got short documentaries. They've got really in-depth ones. You know, anytime you want to just learn something about anything, it's just great. But they don't really have any Hollywood shows or anything. So we pitched them on taking the documentary Super 8 Days and, like, expanding on it. Instead of Rob Hampton's short films, there's probably a lot of famous directors who made short super eight films or video whatever you know 16 mm-hmm. millimeter regular eight millimeter any of that stuff you know so we made a list of guys that we would try to hit up and like they went for it so we just finished our first episode it was with uh, doug lyman of swingers and edge of tomorrow and born identity fame and uh, he was great he, he made like 200 super eight films Oh, wow. Yeah, and he doesn't have many of them left, but he had a few of them. So we talked all about what you and I were talking about earlier, about the technology back then and waiting for your film to be developed, all that stuff, and how he used those techniques in his big films. And it's great. You know, you wouldn't know it, but like Doug Lyman actually made a mummy film with his dad dressed as the mummy. Oh, wow. Been around Central Park. And he also made a Dracula film with his sister as Dracula. So it's kind of funny. Now, those films didn't exist anymore, but the stories about them were so cool that I sent John Morgan, the guy from our documentary, he was up for like reenacting some of this stuff. So he put a sheet on and was like walking around the woods as the mummy. And then he, he found a little girl who would play uh, Dracula. Uh, we were able to illustrate these stories with some of these reenactments kind of funny so coming soon to curiosity stream that's not somebody that i would have pegged as someone who had genre like amateur filmmaking in his background i mean he's he's the action movie guy right 
But I think if you look at a lot of these filmmakers, whether they're making action movies or dramas or whatever, you go back into their past and there's just something about these classic genre films that make us want to make more of them. And we all cut our teeth on that stuff and then we go from there, whether you're making big budget action movies or awesome documentaries like you are, or my little podcast or whatever, you know? So. Well, you know, it's funny, Derek. Like, again, with a lot of those films, as awesome as they were, you could see them as a young teenager or something and be like, hey, I think I can do this. Yep. You know, especially the sci-fi films of the 50s. See, I don't know how a kid today, though, could watch Avengers Endgame and say, hey, I can do that. Like, I mean, the films of the 50s, especially, like, just really inspired me to like, hey, if I just had a camera, I might be able to do this. Like, I just wanted to pick yep. up one and go out. And not just those films, but like, you know, the disaster films. Like, I really love that movie, Earthquake. I must have gone four or five times to see it and sense around, you know? Oh, man. And you're like, hey, if I just shake a camera, it will look like an earthquake. <laughs> right. And if I throw G.I. Joe's out the window, that'll look like some of those scenes. So, yeah, just those films uh, at that time, you know? If you could go back to the younger version of yourself and tell him what you're doing now in the industry what would you say <laughs> hey look you're gonna do okay you're not gonna make it to the top like all your family's telling you <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh yeah i know yeah i mean still to this day there's people like gee your films are better than spielberg's were back then how come you're not <laughs> so oh. <laughs> yeah yeah it's always fun but you're gonna make it to la and you're gonna do okay so enjoy yourself now but get those shots don't <laughs> don't skimp on some of those shots you should have got. <laughs> Lots of people are going to see these movies. Huge thanks to Rob for being part of the show by allowing us to show Super 8 Days and some of his other shorts at the Monster Kid Movie Club screenings. Just, you know what? I said this during the interview, and I hope it really didn't come across too, I don't know, awkward or creepy, but seriously, kindred spirits, man kindred spirits listeners if you have amazon you can watch super eight days right now for free as part of amazon prime head over there and check it out give it a review as of right now it's only got one review it's a five star review so that means quite a bit but give it a review let amazon know that you appreciate this documentary and just so everybody knows super eight days is the word super spelled out the number eight, and then days, as in dazed and confused. So Super 8 Days. Check that out. Now, you can also watch all of Rob and John's shorts over on their Vimeo channel. Just look up Splat Pictures on Vimeo. You can find all the things that Splat Pictures is up to, but you can also check out the Super 8 shorts as well as a trailer for Super 8 Days and the documentary itself. Although, if you watch the documentary on Amazon Prime, they get a little bit of scratch on that. You can also check out Cape Cod Shorts, on YouTube as well, because you've got the trailer as well as the short films there. I'm going to make sure there's links to all of this in the show notes. I'm going to be showing some more of Rob's movies in the future over at the Monster Kid Movie Club. And like I said, we're going to have him on the show down the line. Also, it's going to be playing at the Cinequest Film Festival. It's gone virtual this year, and uh, you might recognize the person who is introducing the movie if you happen to check out the Virtual Film Festival. No spoilers. Rob, Thanks again. Universal has given Earthquake its maximum effort. Starting with a story and screenplay written by George Fox and Mario Puzo, author of The Godfather. 
Universal has enriched this fascinating drama of interwoven lives with a superb cast. Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, George Kennedy, Lorne Green, Genevieve Bujold, Richard Roundtree, Marjo Gortner, Barry Sullivan, plus the city of Los Angeles and its millions of people living, loving, planning, fighting until nature's most violent upheaval forces them to battle and claw for life itself. Jim, Stuart Graff. She's dying again. Yeah, I think we'll get faster action if you call me. I have to go to Oregon this summer. All summer on a hydroelectric project. Come up there. They indicate another pre-shock, probably before noon today. And if it happens? Then the big one follows in 48 hours. If this dam busts, there won't be nothing between here and Wilshire Boulevard left to burn. Heroism and cowardice. Sadism and self-sacrifice. Hysteria and mass emotion that will surround and engulf you completely and make you feel you are there. You're all gonna have to help yourselves. Help me! Please, nurse boy, I need help too. I've got to try and find her. Is she more important than me? Get the hell out of here! That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading the show, retweeting tweets, sharing posts on Facebook, letting people know about Monster Kid Radio. And thank you for just being there. You know, Monster Kid Radio, the podcast, is something that I've been doing for over seven years now. By the end of this year, we're going to hit 500 episodes. Blows my mind that we've been doing it that long and we've got that many episodes in the can already. I still feel like I just started this show a couple of years ago. It still feels new and exciting to me. It's not lost that new monster smell is what I'm saying. And, you know, part of the reason why it's so exciting for me to keep doing is because you guys and gals are out there encouraging me, enjoying the show and just talking monster movies everywhere you go up to and including, and I'm not going to mention his name because I didn't really get his permission to say his name, but I was at the grocery store just the other day and the checker there is somebody that I've chatted with before and he's seen me wear various Monster Kid Radio t-shirts and I was wearing a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt that day as well and well, you know, there wasn't anybody immediately behind me in line so we chatted for a few minutes and he just told me how much he appreciates the show and enjoys the music that we play and everything and seeking out the independent bands and talking about the movies and how exciting and energetic it, it just meant a lot to know that there are people out there enjoying what I do. So thank you. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, you can find on our website over at monsterkidradio.net. Our contact information is over there. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. And you know what? I'm not going to be passive aggressive about it anymore. Can somebody please call and leave us a voicemail? I just want to make sure the voicemail still works. <laughs> it's been so long since it's been used. So please, if you have anything you'd like to say about this episode or any of the previous episodes on the podcast, please feel free to drop us a line. Also on our website, like I said earlier, there's going to be links to everything we've talked about here on the show, including Rob's Vimeo and YouTube links our Patreon campaigns over there. And remember to check out the left-hand side of the page to see the special thanks section. You're going to find a list there of everybody who's supporting the show at the AIP level or higher. What's coming up next week on the show? Well, 
I've got a handful of things in the hopper, but I'm really excited to get some new voices on the show. Rob was somebody who's never been on the show before. You know who else has never been on the show before? Ricardo Delgado. Who is he? Well, he's an author. He's worked in the comic book industry and he's worked in the film industry. You like Star Trek? He's had his hands on that. You like Men in Black? You like X-Men? He's had his hands in that too. He's got a book coming up later this year called Dracula of Transylvania. And I've only seen the cover and the cover looks amazing. I can't wait to check that one out. To hold me over though, he and I are going to talk about one of my absolute favorite Universal monster movies. This one, ladies and gentlemen, it is one of the cornerstones of my love of not just Universal monsters, but monster movies, period. It is Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I actually have that recording scheduled to happen this Sunday. So Ricardo, looking forward to chatting with you, man. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got the big screening happening this Saturday. The Monster Kid Movie Club is going to be showing The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock, One Body Too Many. It came from there, and a handful of other fun surprises are in store for you. So please consider joining us at 11 a.m. The pre-show starts, and at noon, the movies start. There will be a live chat going all day. This is, of course, Pacific time because, well, I'm based out here in Oregon. I'll make sure there's a link to the monsterkidmovie.club website in the show notes as well. If you're going to be there on Saturday, I'll chat with you then. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here in seven days for the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song El Gato. That belongs to the band The Hidden Reefs. It's from their album Mystery Lights, and it's copyright The Hidden Reefs. 2020. Check them out over at hiddenreefs.bandcamp.com and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody on Saturday, on Tuesday for the sci-fi movies, or next week. Ciao. (laughs) 